today on CityCast Salt Lake. It is Great Salt Lake Week for CityCast. It seems like there's always news coming out about our city's namesake. To help us stay on top of it, I got an update from Salt Lake Tribune water reporter Leah Larson about Utah House Speaker Brad Wilson's recent summit on the lake and what we can learn from other dried-up, dusty lakes in the West. Today's Tuesday, October 18th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. All right, Leah, House Speaker Brad Wilson held his second Great Salt Lake Summit recently. The first was at the beginning of 2022, and it feels like it really launched, I would say, the state, like, state officials into um, an obsession with saving the lake. But I'm curious from you, a vibe check from this year's summit. Like, how has the conversation and how has their approach changed? I think, so the summit this year was a lot of recapping achievements. Um, I think the state is really proud of their agricultural optimization program, which increased um, irrigation efficiency, basically helped fund some projects and was very popular. Um, They spent millions, I think around 200 million. And then of course, there's a secondary metering program that they were really proud of, which is putting meters and all these outdoor watering, mostly residential properties where they kind of could just water how much they wanted and they had no idea how much they were using and they just play, paid a flat fee in their property taxes. So it was kind of mm-hmm. out of sight, out of mind. So that is all changing um, thanks to a lot of that federal pandemic funding they are channeling toward these water projects. So they kind of touted those as some achievements. There are a few others, though, however, like um, split season leasing, where maybe the state would pay a farmer to only water part of the year and then send the rest of the water to them to use in stream or maybe make mm-hmm. it to the lake that I think we have yet to see much movement on. Um, so that is something, I guess, to keep an eye on as we move forward. So the vibe then was, I mean, I don't want to say celebratory, but genuinely they feel like they're doing enough. Is that because I think the average Utah feels like we're not doing enough. No, I agree. And I I think, you know, Brad Wilson is aware of that. Mm. Of course, it's not enough, but at least they're doing something. They're making historic investments in this. But you're right. I mean, they, I've been covering the Great Salt Lake for the better part of the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, first, when I was with the Standard Examiner in Ogden. And I feel like a lot of people who research the lake, um, even state officials who their job is to manage the lake, sometimes felt like maybe they were shouting into the void. Hmm. And so only now is it really getting some attention. It took hitting a record low. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, could we have started sooner? Absolutely. Yeah. When we think about the crisis at the lake and our crisis of water consumption, basically, in the West, it feels like the real middlemen in this conversation are water conservancy districts. What did we hear from them at the summit? Yeah, they're kind of famously called the water buffaloes, and they have a very strong lobbying pull mm. at the legislature, um, infam- infamously have fought a lot of big water reforms throughout the years. Mm. Um, but this past session, I think we saw some of them come around, like just the secondary metering thing alone, I think it was huge because I think they've kind of fought measures like that in the past. Mm. And, you know, I've read through some of their conservation plans and their water management plans. And they don't even mention the Great Salt Lake, even though they're all within its watershed. And it's like a pretty big player. Yeah. Um, but this year um, at the summit, 
I guess a kind of big announcement was that two of the water districts are going to send like 30,000 acre feet to the Great Salt Lake by the end of the year, Hmm. which they've never done. And, you know, they deserve some kudos for that because um, their mentality for so long has just been like any extra water we have, we store in those reservoirs until they fill and spill. And that has just been the mentality. And even though a lot of our reservoirs aren't full right now, they're at least recognizing that the lake is in big, big trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, it's continued decline to decline ever since it hit another record low in July. It just keeps shrinking and shrinking. Mm-hmm. And all the brine shrimp and the birds are at risk. So they are going to funnel some water downhill. So it goes to the lake. Um, is it enough to move the dial? Probably not. But every drop helps, I think. Yeah. Because I'm like, what? what is it? 30,000 cubic 30,000 30, acre feet of water? Yeah. I can't even picture that. I have no idea what that is. Yeah, it is hard to kind of wrap your head around. <laughs> Maybe like three times the amount that Salt Lake City would consume in a year. Oh, okay. That is a lot. Yeah. Okay. All right. But Salt Lakers are pretty good at conservation, so I will pat them on the back for that. Yeah. I mean, for the city's <laughs> part, that's been their talking point. You know, Salt Lake City Utilities has said— we are pretty good at saving water. Like, we're doing our part. Um, and I think they're also planning to divert some of our um, our water to the lake as well instead of selling it. So that seems to be the move locally. So Speaker Bad Wilson, we say this all the time on the show, one of the most powerful people in the state. Some people really know who he is and some people are like, who's that? <laughs> and... He had a big reveal for some potential legislation ahead of this legislative session. He wants to create like a public-private partnership to help conserve water. And I think a lot of enviros are anxious around some of that public-private language because it feels like the everyone do your part kind of approach, um, which so often with issues of conservation, it's like, okay, but we've got, you know, we know that the big water users are ag, they're industry, right? Does this just continue to shift responsibility onto the public or am I missing something? You know, that's a really good point. And I I guess we'll have to watch that and see. Um, I think raising awareness never hurts. So, you know, it's good to keep sounding this message Um, because I think of the the Great Salt Lake, like suppose we have a really good winter and it starts to go up again. Well, it's easy to dismiss. Hmm. And then we'll just find ourselves at the same place in a few years. For example, like, like when I write stories about the Great Salt Lake, I try to include this graph that shows the trends over time. Because like I said, the lake is dynamic. It goes up and down. Mm-hmm. We had the big flood years in the 80s. Some people might remember. But if you do look at its elevation over time, just like in a graph, since you know the Mormon pioneers showed up, it is like a dramatic trend of decline. It has been going downhill for a long time, even though sometimes it goes up. So, you know, I don't think it hurts to keep, you know, beating that drum and letting people know that, you know, even though we may have a wet year or two, we live in a desert. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I think they mentioned this at the summit, the Great Salt Lake has been our protector. It's been protecting our air quality. But when it shrinks to such an extent as it is now, I mean, the public health hazard that we're facing is pretty immense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is a degree of panic that everyone in the Valley in particular is feeling around the lake right now. And I think that might be one of the reasons that when we hear from legislators and they're they're very calm and they're thinking long term and they're planning. And as Salt Lakers, we're like, ah, don't you see? <laughs> like, 
it sometimes can feel like a disconnect. Um, but I don't know. What do you think is missing from this conversation? Hmm. I mean, I'm just glad people are having the conversation. Now. I'm glad people are thinking about the lake. Mm. Um, one thing I like to say is um, one of the positives to the Great Salt Lake being so low is people are going to the spiral jetty a lot more than <laughs> they have in the past, I've noticed. And it's just really nice. You can go out there on a Friday afternoon and they're like families having picnics and flying kites and just like playing and walking to the water. And it's just really nice to see people connecting with the lake in that way, um, just realizing that it is a part of their backyard and it's a part of their lives, whether they think about it on a daily basis or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cultural, so, the sort of like cultural recognition about the lake and its role right. for us beyond just like, you know, a lot of Salt Lakers for so long, it was like, oh, the lake, it stinks. Like, we're not that into brine mm-hmm. shrimp. And now it feels like people are wearing shirts that say, Save Our Great Salt Lake. And, like, there's, it's got a new cultural relevance. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's our capital city's namesake. So yeah. it's a very important part of our state. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLCLivingTrad. I want to ask you a follow-up question about the Pacific Ocean Pipeline Project, because when the legislature announced that they were going to look into potentially building a pipeline from the Pacific to pipe water into the Great Salt Lake, I think a lot of people thought it was almost laughable. And where is that conversation now? Like, have we heard an update on that proposal? Yeah, they talked about it at Brad Wilson's summit. Um, they finally gave a cost estimate, which was sixty to a hundred billion dollars. Oh which <laughs> so much it sounds like a lot, but to me, that still seems like an underestimate because, mm. I mean, you got to think about the amount of energy it's going to take to like pump this over a mountain range and like forty-two hundred feet above sea level, like just the ongoing energy cost. But anyway, I'm no expert. <laughs> and I'm not an engineer, but I don't really think they're taking it. My hunches are not taking it that seriously. I think they're just trying to show everybody that they're putting every option on the table out there mm. and like just, you know, like do we want to do we want to spend this much state money on a pipeline or do we want to like spend money on more practical solutions? Like let's just put it out there to show everybody how dire the situation is. Right. We're thinking radically. Um, exactly. We're we're thinking from the smallest little drop to a freaking pipeline <laughs> to the ocean. <laughs> Well, so you went on a big reporting trip to California recently to visit two lakes that are a lot like the Great Salt Lake. They're dried up or drying up. What were your main takeaways from that trip? We went to Mono Lake 
and Owens Lake on the other side of the Great Basin in the Eastern Sierra. Mm -hmm. We are united to these lakes in the Great Basin um, based on the birds that use them. They kind of rely on the system of salty lakes in the arid west to make their migration. So our fates are sort of linked that way. Um, You know, I went out, I, I think a lot of your listeners have probably heard of Owens Lake. It's just this tragic story of this lake that was diverted it's all its tributary water was diverted by Los Angeles down the Los An- Angeles aqueduct, 200 miles, hmm. kind of amazing feat of engineering, but it just like dried up this valley and turned this lake into, you know, this salty, toxic dust bowl. So I expected to go out there and just see this tragic lake that's just a mess and ask people like, why on earth did you stick around this like toxic dust bowl? But I was surprised. I mean, it's a beautiful, artistic, dynamic community. Um, And I think importantly for Utahns, the dust is under control. Like LA experimented for a few decades and they've really figured out some ways to keep that dust down so it hardly even blows anymore. So, I, I mean, it just shows us that it can be solved if we're willing to dump the money into it because it costs LA $2.5 $2.5 billion in the Great Salt Lake is quite a bit larger. Um, its historical average is about 1,700 square miles, and Owens Lake is only about 100, 110 square miles, mm. just to give you an idea of how we would have to scale up. How do you tamper the dust? I'm dying to know. <laughs> yeah, that is a good question. Um The way it was explained to me is you kind of have to figure out what the lake wants to be. So certain areas of the lake will grow vegetation because this this lake bed isn't so salty, so plants will grow. Mm. Um, The most widespread thing that they do there, uh, which probably seems obvious, is they flood it with water. Like, obviously, a lake wants water. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's kind of what it was meant to be. Um, so they most the city of Los Angeles mostly uses shallow flooding, which had the side benefit of bringing back the brine shrimp and the brine flies and all the birds. But they don't want to shallow flood. They need that water, especially with climate change and their growing populations. So they're trying to find ways to not use that so much. So they've laid down gravel in some spots, which I have to tell you, it was quite a sight to behold. Like, like in some places, it's two square miles just of gravel, like the wow. sea of gravel. And walking around on it, it's very hot and uncomfortable. Um, so I can't imagine what kind of microclimate it's created. And the state of California, which owns a lake, but doesn't want so much gravel because it has no wildlife benefits or aesthetic benefits mm. um, because the public can visit this lake bed whenever they want. It's public land. Another thing that I thought was interesting, though, is... Salty lakes, like the Great Salt Lake, like Owens Lake, they will always have like a certain degree of water because it just becomes so salty that it can't evaporate. So at the heart of this lake is actually this big brine pool with this salty crust on it. Um, So that kind of keeps LA from mitigating the entire lake bed. They're only doing like about, I think, a quarter of it actually with all these expensive mitigation measures. So that was kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all kinds of things they're doing. It sounds like you're a little optimistic. I mean, I, I feel like I'm more realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is. It, I mean, it's encouraging to know that uh, the Great Salt Lake Blake bed is already blowing. Yeah. Um, it's it's nice to know that we can keep it down. And I think unlike Los Angeles, like Owens Lake will always be dry, right? Los Angeles is using all the water. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Great Salt Lake will rise and fall. We won't have to, if we have to implement these mitigation measures, we won't have to do it every year necessarily. Um, so I think that's good to know. 
Um, I think a lot of people hate to think of engineering the lake in this way and seeing it get to the state. But if you think about the Great Salt Lake, we already use a lot of engineering on the lake. For example, I like to point to the Bear River Bird Migratory Refuge. Like that is not a natural river delta. Mm. It is a bunch of impounded wetlands that people control what floods and what doesn't and where the water goes. Or even the causeway, the railroad causeway that's divided the lake into two with this really salty north arm and this fresher south arm. Mm -hmm. So they breached it because the um, rail causeway keeps sinking. So they had to like create an opening in it a few years ago. And now they're refilling it again to prevent all that salinity exchange to keep the southern arm fresher. So Mm -hmm. we already are engineering the heck out of this lake. Yeah. So, yeah. Huh. Well, I guess my last question for you is, you know, California and Utah are politically very different. Is there, do you think, the political will here to take up these kinds of like incredible solutions that you saw at Owens Lake and at Mono Lake? That's such a good question and a very good point. Um, I think a lot of people, water rights attorneys, environmental advocates I interviewed is, I think the sentiment is like, we don't want to get to that point because the minute you get take things to court, you're kind of looking at it a gamble. Like you may win, you may lose, or everybody may end up losing. Mm. In terms of legal fights, um, the really big standout one was actually at Mono Lake, where a bunch of lake advocates organized to secure that lake's right to exist because LA was kind of eyeing it and buying up the water rights and doing the same thing. So environmental groups took the city of Los Angeles to court, basically, and um, the Supreme Court decided that the lake had as much a right to exist as L.A. had a right to have its water and its water rights. Mm. Um, But it kind of left it to the state to figure out how to strike that balance. So the state did a bunch of studies over about a decade, and they hit a mandated elevation that they wanted the lake to rise to. And so now L.A. is required by state law to continue cutting back its diversions until Mono Lake hits this target elevation and that mandate was set in the 90s, like 1992 or 93. And all these years later, it still hasn't hit it. So LA is feeling a lot of pain from that, as you can probably imagine, mm. um, especially with drought and climate change and all that future uncertainty. And then Los Angeles, um, at Owens Lake, obviously, the, the federal government kind of had to step in and say, you know, you're, you're not meeting our federal air quali- quality requirements as required by the, you know, the the Clean Air Act. So that's how that kind of became a legal battle. Hmm. So if we can just figure out solutions now without those political fights that we saw in California, the better off we we will all ultimately be, I think. Hmm. Leah Larson, thank you so much for talking with me and for your just truly like so amazing and so consistent reporting on this lake. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. A little more news before we go. That reporting trip to California that Leah mentioned, it was a project through the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. The Collab is a collection of newsrooms and nonprofits that have joined forces to help find solutions to the crisis at the lake. Now, I gotta preach the gospel of local journalism here. Local newsrooms have been at the forefront of reporting on the Great Salt Lake. On October 19th, the Collab is hosting a discussion on whether the lake can be saved and how much time is left to do it. That's at the Day Riverside Library in Rose Park. I'll leave the link in the show notes for you. 
And speaking of local action taking, if you're a registered voter, your ballot is being mailed to you today. Can I make a suggestion for filling it out? Start at the bottom and work your way to the top. Senate, Congress, it gets a lot of fanfare. But the stuff at the bottom of your ballot is the sexiest to me. The Salt Lake City Parks Bond, which is an investment in the places we like to hang out. The county clerk's race is the frontline defense of our voting rights and our democracy. These are the bubbles that really make stuff happen in our communities. If you do need to get registered to vote or have questions about voting, call your county clerk. Here's the number for Salt Lake County, 385-468-7400. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Have you told your friends about this show yet? What about your mom? Have you told your mom? Ask her to subscribe. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.